Hello, this is Jeff Johnston, and welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. I'm the host and founder of the Living Undeterred Mindset, I like to call it, along with the website. I post a weekly blog and a weekly podcast. Uh, today, I am, I'm ecstatic and excited and uh, honored to have in my presence uh, Danielle McLean. And I had to make sure I got that right because her last name is spelled a little bit different than how it's pronounced. Um, but I feel like I've known Danielle a long time, and I'm going to have her introduce herself in a minute here. But I've actually only known her for a couple of months. And I met her on LinkedIn through a, a friend of mine that had posted a, what I think you intended just as a short little, hey, this is me video that ended up being viral and uh, actually just went crazy. And you had a ton of people reaching out to you and patting you on the back. And I was one of them. And you responded. And I was able to uh, lure you into my podcast world. But the Living Undeterred Mindset, Danielle, is something I've come up with to kind of talk about resiliency and, and fighting through adversity and dealing with trauma. And you definitely embody the Living Undeterred Mindset. So um, <clears throat> you are in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just kick this to you to have you maybe introduce yourself a little bit. I, I don't really like to have too many prepared questions on these uh, conversations, Danielle. I think you and I, when I talked to you uh, previously, we, we talked for like half an hour and I said, hey, stop, we have to save all this. <laughs> this is yeah, good stuff. Um, so anyway, thanks for being here and I'll let you start things off. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored to be here and love what you're doing and you know, happy to support in any way I can. Um, you know, it's so funny that you said it felt like we knew each other our whole lives. It's it's crazy when you meet somebody that has overcome a lot of trauma. You just you guys just click, you know, and and I just love that. I thought that healing was going to be such a lonely path and it was for a while, but now um you know, I've sort of as I've mentioned, I my my life has been bumpy um and it was a rocky rocky mountain to climb but lately i just feel like i've taken the leap off the mountain and i've sprouted wings and i'm soaring and i'm just loving life and attracting all of these amazing people like you um so you know i'm so happy to be here and for your listeners um <clears throat> a little bit about me and my trauma um when i was 16 i was raped and abused um became a single mom at 18 um, got into stripping, graduated to prostitution, and then selling drugs. And I mean, I just relived trauma after trauma after trauma until I finally learned that, you know, we sometimes relive our trauma on purpose, unconsciously, you know, wanting a different outcome. And that's why we're attracted to those same sorts of people that will, you know, inflict that pain in our lives, hoping that we'll get a different outcome. And, and it took me a long time to get out of the victim mentality and to realize mm. that, you know, I'm, I can change this, but I've got to change some things in me. Not that any of the trauma was my fault, but once I knew that, you know, me being a victim, predators could sniff that. Um, and, and I had to not be a victim in order to become safe. And um, that was really difficult to do, but um, I finally did it. And um, and it just feels so good to do. And, um, you know, I went back to college in my late 30s, got an engineering degree, became an aerospace engineer. Wow. And, and then got my dream job, left my dream job, and started my own aerospace company. And, you know, my whole message is about, well, two things. One, 
it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Um, you absolutely can. I don't care if you're 16 or 60, 100 and, you know, 15, it doesn't matter. You can reinvent your yourself. Um, and secondly, your past is your power. Um, hmm. and, and then, you know, and then while, ex, you know, learning those things that we, we really empower and encourage women that, you know, sell sex work and, and I'm, you know, besides whether if you believe it should be legal or not, I personally think that it should be legal because then I think that, you know, people could be held accountable, um, for, you know, abusing women, but I still think it's not the best path and, you know, I would love to live in a world where it's easier for women to work in aviation than to sell their body. And that that's what mm. I represent, you know, providing that path and visibility and just getting in the orbit of people that aren't normally thinking about it. Pretty easy to see why I invited you on the show. <laughs> um, I don't know where to start, but I think what I'll do is I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about the little Danielle, um, maybe the, the family life you had growing up and before all this. Uh, happened into your, you said 16 years old. Um, talk a little bit about uh, your family, your parents, your, if you had brothers and sisters, kind of, you know, how, how that, um, kind of what made you make, maybe make those decisions at, at, at 16 years old to make some of those decisions? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's six kids total in my family. I've got five siblings, four girls, two boys. Um, my parents were married, my mom was 16 and my dad was 18 in Michigan. Um, they were hardcore evangelical Christians, what we would now pretty much call a cult. Um, there's wow. a documentary, yeah, there's a documentary on Netflix. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's called Jesus Camp or something like that. Um, and I got to tell you that that was my childhood. Um, there was a time that we actually lived in a one bedroom cabin where, um, you know, we were praying in tongues and people were fainting and all of this kind of scary. It was, it was, hmm. it was downright scary. Um, you know, screaming about the devil and making us speak in tongues when we were little. Um, and, and then the, the misinformation that went into sex was um astonishing um i don't even think it would be legal now to tell a child some of the things that i was taught growing up um i i remember um getting caught masturbating and being told that i was going to hell for having sex outside of marriage and then I learned how babies were made. And so I was convinced for the longest that I was going to get myself pregnant. Um, and I just felt so ashamed. Um, I was, I was bad. I was yucky. I was dirty. Um, and, and that went on for, you know, for years until I moved out. And, and then, you know, also add in, there's some, you know, major misogyny in my family. My dad and my brother's watched football every Sunday while my sisters and my mom and me fed, you know, cooked and cleaned and fed them. Um, and to this day, I don't understand football and I don't want to. It's kind of a trigger for me because wow. um, it, it reminds me of feeling like, hey, that's not fair. Why don't we get to have, you know, fun? And, you know, my dad didn't show us affection at all. 
Um, and my mom barely did. Um, and, and they're both, you know, surviving children of alcoholics and, and both have had very traumatic upbringings. Um, you know, I now have forgiven them and realized that um, they did their best um, with what they had. But I'm, I can also, you know, accept that I was traumatized. Um, they didn't mean to traumatize me, but they did. And, um, and so, uh, you know, just feeling, um, very unloved and not good enough from the relationship I had with my parents and my dad just not having the slightest idea how to communicate to girls. He still doesn't. Um, he's, and he probably never will. Um, just being desperate for um, male attention, attention, and and really that whole, all of that stuff combined, um, really primed me to become um, a victim of sexual assault because I was willing to go with the first male that was going to pay me some attention. I was starving for it, absolutely starving. And and then you can see, um, in the you know even the stripping and the prostitution. It took me so many years to realize that all of that was just a desperate attempt of me wanting to be loved by my dad. Mm -hmm. hmm. You know. Well, yeah. I I um I admire uh, your courage to <clears throat> to go back there. And you said past is power. I mean that is so awesome. I in my book I wrote um, to honor my son who passed away from a heroin overdose <clears throat> almost four years ago, almost five years ago. Sorry. Um, I have something I write in there I call my 12 daily steps. And number three, I say you don't get over trauma. It's part of your story, but will not negatively define you. And that's exactly what you said. Your past is your power. And what you and I both decided to do, and I think what we want to do in continuing this story is that, you know, you've had obviously a very traumatic event happen to you. I have too, but they are so different, but they are so similar. Um you know, as much as they are different, they are just as equally similar. And we've both chosen a, a, a way to us to, def, to use this to define us positively. I, I'm proud of my son, Seth. I'm proud of the fact that uh, I'm a better man and a better human since my son died. I could have taken the other approach, as you could have as well. And I love the fact you said you didn't view yourself as a victim. That is, that's one question I was going to ask you, to, and that obviously took some time because you did view yourself as a victim for a long time. Um, was there a certain point in time you just had an, I had an epiphany mo moment myself, Danielle. Did you have that? Yeah, I've had several of them. It's funny because I seem to have one about every couple of years since I realized um, that, well, I found, I think the biggest moment for me was um, when I when I got my aerospace engineering job, see, I thought that was going to fix me. And and it's funny because um, my dad is also an engineer and his dad is an engineer, was an engineer. He passed away last year. Um, and, and the men in my family are, they, you know, gravitate towards engineering. And, and I think that that was partially a way for me to get my dad to be proud of me. Um, and like, oh, this will make my parents love me. And, and it didn't. But when I was, uh, you know, deep into my engineering career, um, I found myself feeling exactly how I used to feel when I was a prostitute. And mm. I asked myself, why the hell am I feeling like a piece of trash? Why? And, and that's when I realized this is something in me happening. 
um, because I'm not in the streets anymore. I'm not committing crimes. I'm living a good life, you know, per society's definition. But I still feel like trash. And and that's when I, and to be quite honest, Jeff, I, I became very suicidal. And and I, I was just ready to end it. And I started Googling um, in YouTube. I, I remember actually putting in, why do I want to die? Because if you were looking at my life, I had, you know, a nice car. I had a home that was paid off. Um, you know, I had the dream that everybody, you know, thought. But I just felt miserable inside. And, and I thought that getting all of those things, you know, I had had them before the wrong way with selling drugs and prostitution. I've made money plenty of times in my life. But... I always felt unfulfilled, and I thought this would make me feel fulfilled. It didn't, and and that was the moment where I was like, "What the hell?" And and so I just started researching why do I want to die, and that led me to um, some YouTubers that were, um, you know, some spiritual gurus and um, Eckhart Tolle, Sadhguru, Russell Brand, who mm. I you know, Russell Brand I remember from like movies like you know, Get Him to the Greek and yeah. Um, <laughs> The, you know, I didn't even know that he had gotten clean and sober and was, you know, being sort of a spiritual teacher now. Um, but so really just seeing these really sensitive men, um, that pulled me out of my funk. Um, those were the things that I needed um, to hear from a man. And, and just seeing that, that, that gave me so much hope. And it was, there was a lot of accountability and, and that that realized, you know, that helped me realize that I had to be responsible for my happiness, but it was presented to me in a way that um, sort of maybe, I don't know if this is the right way to say, but almost like filled a void that I had with my dad, having it presented in these compassionate, gentle men, you know, and, and that really, that was a game changer for me. Do you, um, I know I write uh, a lot about coping mechanisms and I kind of look at living undeterred as one arrow in my quiver to help me deal with the grief of losing a child to heroin. And, you know, I'm going to ask you, you know, what, what are some things that you use now looking back that helped you build a foundation to do what you're doing now? And we're going to get into your, your business here on the second half of the podcast. I want you to talk about, I, I did quite a bit of research. I'm excited to hear about how, how, how this works. Um, but what are some of your coping isms? I have some of mine. I'm waiting to hear yours and I'm, I'll be surprised if they aren't pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they've, they've evolved. Um, when I first started my spiritual, spiritual journey, I would say that, um, that was when I was, you know, deep in my engineering job and, and it began with, you know, meditation, you know, the things, affirmations, sort of the things that we all know, but we don't want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I was so low that I, I forced myself because I kind of made this deal with myself that I, if I didn't feel better after, okay, I'm going to do what you guys are saying, but if I don't feel better then I'm, I'm killing myself. Um, right. but I was like, I at least have to try it for, you know, they say 21 days minimum before you see results. So I decided I would give it that. And I did start seeing results. Um, so, you know, I of course incorporate meditation, um, sleep meditations, um, I have, uh, I have always a, a note card around me that says something affirming. Um, I've got, you know, on my bathroom mirror right now, it says, um, you're a badass, sexy woman. The world <laughs> needs your voice. 
Um, the world needs your voice. You are enough. You make a difference. And, and I say that every time I look in the mirror, if I'm brushing my teeth, um, and when I get up in the morning, I look at it and I start singing it. And, um, it's so crazy that you actually start believing those things. And, and that's not the, I, I change it sometimes, you know, that's my latest one that I have taped on the mirror. Um, there were times, you know, when I was in school, I had, um, I can, I will, I must. And, and so they, they evolve. And I think I'm actually getting ready to change it to, you will build um, a hydrogen fuel cell helicopter um, because sometimes I doubt myself. And like, like you said, second half, but um, jogging, um, jogging, that's how I, I start my day. Um, jogging and um, fearless motivation playlists on iTunes. Um, there's one that is called uh, headphones on world off. And I listen to it every day and it gets me so pumped. Um, there's this one song that's like, there is no pain. There is no pain. There is no pain. There is none. I feel no pain. I feel no pain. I feel no pain. I feel none. And it just goes on about how you have to make it through hell to get through heaven. And I listen to that while I'm jogging and I'm, you know, pouring with sweat, but I get into like this trance like state. Um, and it just sets me up for the entire day. Um, so, you know, for sure jogging and, and while I'm jogging, I am, I'm literally brainwashing myself. Um, we were, I feel like we were, you know, um, indoctrinated with toxic things, um, through the media and whatnot and, you know, religion for me. Um, and so now I'm cleaning my brain of that and, um, I make sure that I'm just, you know, filling it with all kinds of positivity. Um, I don't listen to any negative lyrics and hmm. music, um, yeah. I don't even let, allow it in my orbit at all. If it is not, you know, if it's somebody crying about a breakup, nope, got to go. If it's somebody <laughs> saying, why don't you pay attention to me? Nope, got to go. We yeah. have a lot of this desperate love stuff. But if it's, you know, kind and loving or empowering, then that's what I listen to. And I have had to cut off a lot of people and a lot of things that I identified with um, to get there. But um, so, yeah, I'd say exercise, meditation, um, and I do self-hypnosis with help of YouTube. Um, and, and then just being really careful about what people and information I allow in my orbit. Well, one thing you don't need is more passion. Um, I can obviously see you have what I call passion with a purpose. And I love that phrase. Um, I have a quote above, above my uh, mirror too, and actually at my computer at work. Um, it's, it's uh, something I stole from Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. I'm not sure if you've read that book, but he, it's an awesome book. It's one of the most, I don't know how many, millions and millions and millions of copies, but he was a, um, in one of the Nazi uh, concentration camps, and he survived and ended up talking about how he witnessed around him everyone crumbling, and he realized that you know he was ultimately, he can't dictate if the guards are going to feed him. He can't dictate if he's going to get beaten, but he can dictate his attitude. And once he changed his attitude, he somehow survived and went on to have a very positive career in the um, psychoanalysis or psycho uh, psychiatry area. And he has a quote that it's, um, suffering is my opportunity. And that was a quote that I got from his book. And then I've morphed it into Jeff Johnston's own quote. So here's my quote that I use. Pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. And what I meant by that is, what happened to you at 16 was more than likely unavoidable. It was a set of circumstances. Set of circumstances. Uh, when my son put heroin in his arm, um, the outcome was fairly predictable at that point that he was going to die. 
If not that day, it would have been the next day. Uh, fentanyl, unfortunately, doesn't give you many second choices. But the context or the, the length of my suffering um, was really up to me. I, I could let this be all-consuming and become an out. I quit drinking soon after he died. One of the easiest things I've ever done, and I was an alcoholic right up until he died. Um, people ask me, is that difficult? And I said, no, it's not difficult. I'm choosing between honoring my son or getting drunk. And that's a pretty freaking easy decision for Jeff Johnston. I don't need any public affirmation. I don't need to tell people how many days I'm sober. I see my son on every beer can. That's all I need, you know? And so to me, suffering is something I do believe is a choice. I do believe that we have to find something inside of us to, as you say, I wrote it down. I got to find it. Um, the past is, um, what'd you say? The past is... Your power. Power. There you go. I love that one. I'm going to steal that from you and start using it. Um, you mentioned yeah. uh, Russell Brand and some of these other people. An individual that really had a big impact on me, and I've become a pretty big uh, follower of his, is Sam Harris. Um, I don't know Sam Harris. Yeah, you, you should you should listen to him. He's extremely... Okay. I actually use his meditation app called Waking Up. Nice. And Sam is just an awesome... Um, Awesome dude. And uh, he's been on the internet for a long, long time. I and mean, he's got some million, million, million views, posts on YouTube and stuff. But he's confrontational. Uh, he's got a set of beliefs. And he is, is um, like anybody at that level, they do have their um, detractors, you know, people that don't agree with them. But he's level-headed. He's, very, he's, he's a very intelligent man. He's well-spoken. He gets in debates with people. He never argues. He just... I don't know. He's just very hypnotic for me. But I do like his app. I've read all of his books. And he's one person that I would suggest that if you're looking to kind of add another arrow again, uh, he'd be a good person. But I wanted to go back a little bit. Um, when you looked at um, dealing with trauma, dealing with these type of things, you had a traumatic event. But did you ever consider yourself a full, a full-blown addict? I mean, were you addicted to drugs? Were you addicted to alcohol? Or was the trauma the the genesis that forced you, or at least at the time you thought that that was why you were going to drink? Or do you really think you were an addict before this? I was 100 million percent a sex addict. Um, so, so, so to the point of almost dying. Um, I, I, Jeff, I've been raped more times than I can count because I just was such a sex addict. Again, I, that goes back to the think wanting my dad's love. Um, and, and yeah, I, I was an alcoholic as well. Um, and, and I'm kind of like you, I don't talk about it a whole lot because I don't have any judgment on people that drink. Um, it's just not for me. I, you know, I don't have a drink. I have, um, you know, I snort Adderall and have, you know, an entire keg and drink for three days and then, you know, fall out with my daughter and, um, you know, cuss people out and sleep with guys and get STDs that, that I don't do it. So that's, it's not for me, but I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, if, if somebody can have a drink and be social, you know, hats off to them. I, I do miss the, um, you know, the social aspect of it and yeah. I'm, you know, and I'll have, you know, I'll put like, I have my seltzer, um, I'll put seltzer water, especially if I'm around family for holidays because my family is full of, um, uh, in denial, um, alcoholics and, and holidays are binge drinking. So I'll put a little bit of seltzer in a wine glass. So nobody pressures me to drink. Um, and, and sometimes I have to step away and hop on a, you know, an AA zoom meeting, um, 
I don't do them all the time, but if I'm, you know, getting overwhelmed with my family, that's kind of my go-to. But yeah, I definitely um, had a drinking problem. Drinking and, I mean, drinking led to drugs. Um, Coke and Adderall and beer, um, you know, IPA, that was my shit. Coke, IPA, and Adderall. Um, and then um, and then sex, though, that was, it, it, that was the... I almost died um, because I, I slept with a guy and I contracted hepatitis B. And I have never said that publicly. Um, and, and it's funny because I, I knew I would talk about it. I just didn't know how it would come out. But um, I, I, I slept with a guy, unprotected sex. And, and then about, um, about a month and a half later, um, I was in class and, and my teacher, and I felt really nauseous. And, and my teacher said, Danielle, you look a little jaundice -y. And I, I didn't even know what that meant. Um, and I looked in the mirror, and the whites of my eyes were green. Wow. And, yeah, and I have a picture. It is freaking scary. And so um, I went to the, um, to the, to the like, minor emergency, and they immediately said, you need to go to the ER right now. We're calling them and letting, you, letting them know you're on your way. And so I got there and they immediately hooked me up and, and they said, um, I mean, within, you know, five minutes of me being at, in the ER, they said, um, it's some kind of hepatitis. And I'm thinking, well, where the hell do I get hepatitis? And, and at the time, um, you know, I, I knew somebody that um, did needles and I was thinking that somehow I touched something and got, I was thinking hepatitis C. Um, and, and I was actually very fortunate that it wasn't that. Um, and I thought maybe I got hepatitis C from a tattoo or something. And then they told me it was hepatitis B. And I had no idea what that even was. Um, well, it turns out hepatitis B is an STD. And um, now there's a, a vaccine for it. But the vaccine didn't come out, I think, until like 1980-something, maybe 1980. I was born in 1976, so I wasn't vaccinated. Now, if you're in the medical field or you serve in the military, they'll give you the vaccine. But because I had never been in either one of those, I was unvaccinated and I was sexually active. So I almost died. And then if you contract hepatitis B as an adult, one of two things will happen. One, you'll get very, very sick. And that's what was happening to me where you're vomiting and you can't eat and you almost die and you'll lose tons of weight. I got down to like 105 pounds um, and you're in the hospital on all these IVs. That's one and that's um, what they call acute. And then the, the other thing that can happen is it'll go undetected and you won't even know you had it, but you can still spread it. That's actually the worst case because if you get it like I had it and you get really, really sick, it'll, you'll push it out of your system and you'll become immune to it just like you were vaccinated. I'm so, I'm so fortunate that that's what happened to me. Um, but there are a lot of people. In fact, I believe the person that I contracted it from was in the, the, the ladder where um, he didn't know that he had it. Um, and of course I told him and, and he said I was lying and that was a whole drama in itself and very traumatic. Um, but, but that, um, that was like, all right, this, this is, this is, this is getting out of control. Um, I'm going to die. And, and I knew that if I didn't change, it was only a matter of time before I, you know, got hepatitis C and HIV and all of the other, um, you know, diseases that, um, I don't want to stigmatize them because I know, you know, there are probably listeners um, that, you know, have those, and, and I sympathize with you because we shouldn't, that's why I want to talk about, 
I contracted hepatitis B. I'm not ashamed to say that, um, mm. but I realized that it was um, choices that I, I was putting myself in dangerous situations. Um, so, you know, that was what scared me, not because, oh my gosh, people are going to know that I had a, you know, a potentially um, fatal STD, but that I was putting my life at risk because, um, you know, I was addicted to sex. I'm uh, I'm speechless, Danielle. I'm so impressed at, and I know people watching this um, are are going to be. Uh, I don't know what they're going to be. It's not my. It's not. I'm not really concerned about that. I, I want to provide information to my my listeners and people who are going through tough times. And you know, if we don't talk about these things, and uh, last week's guest actually she'll post today. Uh, her name's Nancy Barrows, and you really need to meet Nancy if you haven't already. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? No. Nope. Yeah, she was uh, sexually abused by her grandfather for 10 years and came out. Uh, and now she is all over social media as an advocate for sexual abuse, you know, um, just how to deal with the trauma and stuff. And she's just a freaking rock star. I mean, just, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm watching someone like her tell her story. And I see you telling your story. And I'm sure people hear me telling my story and they're like, wow, you know, that's maybe my life isn't as bad as I think it is. Maybe me having my girlfriend break up with me or me getting fired from my job or me missing a mortgage payment on my house or my dog dying or, you know, maybe my life isn't as bad as I think it is. And I think that's the vulnerability, the beauty of vulnerability, Danielle, but it's also addictive. Um, I wrote a blog on called my addiction to vulnerability and I, I discussed this with Nancy that in telling the story, you tell it so eloquently, almost like you're telling it without any feeling. It's like you're numb to it. And in a way, maybe that's a coping mechanism in and of itself. I mean, I've become, I've cried so hard with Seth's death and I don't, I don't have any tears left sometimes. So do you worry sometimes that you're maybe going down these roads too often? I'm sure you have friends say, well, Danielle, you got to put this in a box. You know, you got to, you got to move on and get over it, you know? I, I don't have friends like that. <laughs> good, um, good, because you need yeah, to fire I, them. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I told you, I am very careful about who I let in my orbit. Um, you know, it's a good point. Um, I, <laughs> if you saw my journal, you wouldn't think that. Um, I, I definitely have my demons. I just, um, you know, there. I was watching this show not too long ago called Evil. Um, it gets pretty dark, but mm -hmm. in the show, um. One of the the main character, she's having um, night terrors, and there's this guy, there's this man that he's like a demon that comes into her dreams, and um, and and he's like attacking her and molesting her and all this scary stuff. So she goes to therapy, and um, she uh, her therapist um, gives her a rubber band, and he tells her, um, you know, all throughout every hour, she sets a reminder on her phone. And mm -hmm. every hour it goes off and she pops the rubber band. And, and that popping of the rubber band is to remind herself that um, she's not in a dream. It's real. And, and so she even has the reminder going when she's asleep, okay? And so if she's dreaming, she can go to pop that rubber band. If the rubber band isn't there, that's how she knows she's dreaming. Yeah. And then she can kind of go into that lucid dream and face her fears. Well, what's crazy is I started doing that, not with a rubber band, but just being really mindful of like anytime I thought about it, hey, I'm awake, this isn't a dream. And believe it or not, you will not believe in my dreams, I started being able to face my fears. And 
since I started doing, like somebody might make fun of me or call me gross. I'll, I'll tell you, I had a friend um, that was making fun of me that knew that I had um, hepatitis B because she was um, watching my dogs when I was in the hospital. Oh, okay. And when I got, yeah, and when I got better, she made fun of me and it, I did not, I felt like dying. Um, and, and I had to let go of that friendship. Um, so, um, like I said, that's the first time I've even talked about that publicly. And I've talked about having hepatitis B probably twice in my yeah. life, which was when I was getting out of the hospital and, and only by a, by an as needed basis. Like literally like, uh, where are you, Danielle? You've missed, you know, six weeks of this. It's like, well, I almost died. Um, and then people <laughs> want to know how. So, um, I don't. I don't really worry about talking about that too much. I'm, it took a lot of healing just to even get to what I just said. Um, and I journal about this, not every day. I try to every day, but you know, as much as I can. Um, and, and my journaling can get, um, pretty dark and the, and the way that I deal the, see my coping mechanism is Danielle, look at, I read what I write and then I remind myself that I'm not alone. Somebody else is going right. through this right. and where's my role model. And then yeah. I say, okay, Danielle, you're going to go be that role model. So you save somebody from taking their own life. And not only do you save them from taking their own life, you sh show them that you can thrive, that you don't just have to survive, you can thrive. And so that's kind of my thinking on it. You're making this tough for me because I have ADD and every time you say something, I think of something I want to say and so I, I can't cover this all. Uh, Nancy last week talked about uh, comfortable discomfort and I wrote that down and I, I really, to me, you know, everybody I have on this show, I always steal a few things from that I'll use the rest of my life and from Nancy, it was comfortable discomfort. It was like, you know, I don't want to be known as that guy that walks into a room that everyone says, oh, here comes the guy that his son died of heroin. But then again... I don't care. I mean, it's like I'm comfortable in that discomfort. I'm comfortable being looked upon that way. And you mentioned a role model. Man, all, I, when I started this whole journey, when I started writing my book, I took about a year of my life. And um, here's a copy of my book, which you as a guest will get a, uh, a signed copy sent to you. Um, that's our son, Seth, who died. And it's this one's for you, an inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning. And Seth was a great kid, um, like they all are at 15. And um, it started with Adderall, and I talk about this in the book. But mm -hmm. my superhero, I was just Googling things, trying to figure out what to do, and I came across this guy named Steve Grant. Didn't know who Steve was, but he was in the Wall Street Journal. And I Googled his name and looked him up, and he's an author, and he has a book called Don't Forget Me. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And I clicked on the link, and Steve lost his only two boys, Chris and Kelly, to heroin overdoses. Yeah, his only two. And so his last name, Grant, is done. Uh, the, the, the legacy's gone. His kids are gone. And I lost one of my three. So it kind of put the gratitude, um, it kind of put things like, you know what, I can, I can spend 99% of my time on the one that isn't here. Or I can spend 99% of my time on the two that are. And the 1% of the time I spend on Seth, I'm going to spend it with reckless abandon. I'm going to write a book, do a podcast. I'm going to do all this stuff. But I'm going to spend my, my time on this planet while I'm alive with the two that are here. And I think um, that's a learning lesson for me to find heroes. And people say, well, Jeff, you've been through so much. How do you, how, who do you look up to? I, I look up to Danielle. I look up to Nancy. I look up to Steve. I'm meeting people that Back I'm humbled. You. I'm hum you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm humbled by you guys. Um, 
I just have so many things I wanted to cover with you, and I just keep running out of running out of things. Uh, let's hey, talk about your. Let's talk. We, Let's we have you on have again. Back on yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I will, and and I have a I have a feeling I'm going to reach out for you for interviews and things like that. And um, I have a I have a, a family of people now, like Nancy. I mentioned. There's another an, a woman I want you to meet. Her name's Beth Ann Schaefer. She was a guest on my podcast um, a few few weeks ago, and she founded Nope Beverages. N O P E. It's an alternative yes. cocktail. Yeah, yes. and she was, and she's become a really good friend. I, I communicate with her. Uh, uh, almost weekly basis, we talk about different things. But she went through a lot of traumatic experiences. Went through a divorce with an alcoholic the, husband. She uh, no nope or nope is. I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's yeah. those are the um, un- non-alcoholic beverages, correct? Yeah, they're they're all they're how, um they're, how do I get they're, those in Dallas? I, I will set it up with you. Awesome. <laughs> um, I will take care of it for you. I, I'm a big Nope fan. I'm a big Beth Ann fan. She took a divorce and an alcoholic husband. And Bart, I, I met her husband too. He's a supporter of her now. They they have a good divorce, as you hope that all divorces end up being that way. But he's been a big supporter of her. He's on her board of directors, I think. Just a, a, another opportunity that Beth Han had to crumble. And she, like you, turned it into something heroic. Um, yes. And Nancy's the same way. So, you know, I want you to meet those two. I think um, they, they meant a lot to me. And I, I'm pretty certain you two, you two will get along great. Um, but let's talk about your, let's talk about your business. Let's spend the next half of the show talking about this, this thing you built. Um, I heard you owned your aerospace company. I went, huh? What? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> Who does that? So tell me about what you did, what it's called, why you do it. And, um, I'm all ears. Okay, great. Um, so, so as, as I said earlier, you know, I, I wanted to sort of earn my dad's love. So I thought engineering would be the way to do that. Um, and of course, if I'm going to be an engineer, um, I'm going to go all out and do the coolest one, which is aerospace. Um, you know, I'm a little biased, but um, I've always dreamed of flying and I've always had these really cool dreams that I can fly. And I don't know, it's just so magical. Um, and so, so when once I decided to sort of get my life together and go to college, I knew aerospace was the path for me. And I even said, um, you know, way back then that eventually I wanted to start my own aerospace company. Um, there was a paper that I did um, back in the day, and uh, and I say that I'm going to start my own company. I've, I don't know if, you know, you look at like sort of law of attraction, manifestation stuff. I kind of get into that, but I try not to talk about it that much because there are a lot of like false prophets. But mm-hmm. anyway... Um, I did, I do kind of feel like I low key manifested that. Um, anyway, so, uh, so, all right, I'm at my dream job and, um, well, for, let's go back. When I was in college, I had a really cool teacher who's actually an advisor on my company now. Um, and, and we did, um, an electric, um, aircraft project and, um, I, I really got to appreciate, um, in engineering, you know, going, going to engineering in 2014, um, I got to learn so much about sustainability and renewable energy. Um, and, and then pair that with electric aviation and an aerospace engineering degree. Um, those, those were really important and, and we don't talk about it often. Um, you know, when we're looking at global warming or climate change, uh, we always talk about, you know, automotive um, and, you know, power plants, but we don't often talk about how aviation contributes to that. I mean, look at a look at a spaceship taking off, for God's sakes. I mean, and the airport, the air quality at airports is terrible. Um, and so 
I think it's 12% of transportation emissions are from aviation. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's mm -hmm. right. Um, and so it is significant. Um, and, and we're not, the aviation industry has been pretty, you know, untouched by some of the legislation, but that's going to change. I mean, it is changing. And so, um, and so I'm really passionate about that. Um, when I was at my dream job in aerospace engineering, I, I was really looking around. One, one thing I liked about the company that I was at um, was that if you didn't like something that you were on, if you didn't like the project you were on, you could just tell them you didn't like it and you wanted to work on a different group. Um, and they were really flexible about moving you around and helping you. It was a big company, so they would you know give you flexibility. If you want to work on you know spacecraft, you could. If you want to work on you know frames or engines or whatever, they'd kind of move you around. Well, so I started asking, um, what are we doing in terms of um, electric aviation? And we weren't doing anything. Um, and so um, one thing led to another. I started doing my master's in what we'll call, um, I'm going to call flying cars. Um, but there's so much that goes into that. Um, let's see. It's, I'll try to go through it quickly. Um, if you look at transportation, if you look at the automotive industry and just look at the traffic in like L.A. or even in some places in China where they have like 15 lanes that are just bumper to bumper. Right. One thing that we've learned is um, adding more lanes just adds more people. It does not, it temporarily reduces the traffic, but um, eventually just more people um, get on the road. And, and that's because um, population is expanding exponentially. Therefore, traffic is expanding exponentially, and unfortunately, road construction cannot expand exponentially, um, or we're just going to, you know, pave our entire planet, not right. even to mention how bad that's going to be for emissions. So, um, so we started thinking, and, and I'm not the first person to have this thought. This has been being looked at, you know, since the 70s and 80s. Um, there's got to be a better way. Um, how could we get around without having, you know, out having to wait for the car in front of us and without needing so much infrastructure, a.k.a. roads, and without having all of these emissions? Well, wouldn't it be nice if we could just hop in, you know, the Jetsons era and get on a flying car and just kind of hop over the traffic? Um, and so NASA has been looking at this. Uber Elevate's been, Uber actually started a branch called Uber Elevate, who was recently acquired by a company named Joby a Aviation, who should definitely be on your radar. Um, Jobin Beavert was just recently in Forbes, and um, they're doing some really cool things. Um, and so, so basically, you know, a group of, a, a niche group, uh, in a niche group, in a niche group. So niche being um, aerospace engineering, well, I should say niche and engineering, then niche and aerospace, and then a niche aerospace engineering group decided that, hey, flying cars are a good idea. Um, and it would be more like uh, you would, you wouldn't, we wouldn't own them. Like, we're not going to have people like you and me going around and flying our own cars, like in the Jetsons where George Jetson's actually flying his own. It would be more like a giant drone that mm. we would order from our phone. Like, okay, we can get on our app order this giant drone, it comes down, we get on there, it takes us a, you know, a few miles away or to another city. And um, there's a really cool video, um, hmm. if you just look up Uber Elevate on YouTube, it sort of um, shows the vision. Um, and so if we're gonna do that, um, the technology exists, like we have the technology to do right. it now. But if we're going to do that, let's do it right. And so number one, they've gotta be electric. Um, we don't want them to have all of these emissions. So the challenge with them being electric is batteries are freaking heavy. 
Um, and so you can do it. You can do it with batteries you have right now, um, with Tesla batteries, and you can go, you know, about 60 miles. But what about, you know, like air ambulance, first responder type missions where like helicopters are already being used or like from Wichita to Kansas City or L.A. to San Francisco, where it's like the drive sucks, but it's too short to really justify going to the airport because it's kind of a hassle. But mm -hmm. the drive is a crappy drive, especially L.A. to San Francisco. It's going to take you maybe six hours because the traffic's so bad. What about those trips? Those trips you can't do with batteries, but you could do them with hydrogen fuel cells. That's yeah. where we come in. And and when I was in college, um, we had this really interesting mission where we had to look at um, ba basically doing an electric aircraft. It, it didn't it didn't matter what it looked like. It just had to be all electric, and it didn't matter where that power came from as long as it didn't have emissions, and and it had to be in flight for several hours. And so we we learned pretty quickly that batteries weren't capable of doing that but we did see that hydrogen was so i already knew from college that hydrogen has had the potential to do that and and then again you know for the second time in my engineering career um i converged to hydrogen and so that was really exciting because i was like oh i know this this is what i did in college um and so on our website um does not accurately represent it's just we're rebranding everything right now um, and we're going through a huge campaign. So I think what you'll see on our website says that we're developing a hydrogen fuel cell aircraft. But really what we're doing is we're developing the hydrogen fuel cell power plant mm. that can go on the other aircraft. So it can go on um, an existing helicopter. It can go on these flying taxi companies that are like Joby, um, Joby Aviation, the one that bought Uber Elevate. Um, so, you know, we would be complementary to them where we would help them um, extend their missions where, you know, they're looking at batteries right now. We hope to, you know, certify a hydrogen fuel cell system that um, can open up the door for them to do, you know, air first responder missions that tend to be a little bit longer, maybe fire firefighting, um, you know, looking in the mountains for a missing hiker, um, yeah. you know, getting to rural health, those types of things. Um, so that's really what we do. And then not only do we want to bring hydrogen fuel cells into the game, but it is very critical. So I don't tell a lot of people this, that the driver that made me quit my dream job was that I was the only girl in an office with about 100 men. There were a couple other girls, but I didn't get to work with them. And and I experienced sexual harassment. And, and there were times that I felt my life was in danger. Um, I made some really good friends, and of course the majority of the men were great, but those few bad apples that aren't held accountable, keywords, aren't held accountable, if they were held accountable I would have had no issue, um, but they weren't held accountable, um, really ruined it for me. Um, and there was a point where you know I had to actually be moved buildings because a guy wouldn't quit harassing me, and then had a guy um, refuse to share the engineering drawings with me that actually prevented me from being able to do my job. Let um, me, I'm going to jump on that a second, Danielle, if you don't mind, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and go back a little bit to getting into mm -hmm. this industry in the first place. You know, being a woman, obviously you're making some very good uh, points about some of the barriers, but how about the, obviously as a felon too, you probably had a criminal record. Were though were these, I mean, man, how many more barriers can you have? <laughs> right. I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I forgot to even mention earlier that I got three felonies and 
when I was in engineering college, and for anybody that's listening that has a criminal background or has a crim, ha, knows somebody with a criminal background, I really want you to listen to this because this probably was the biggest thing that I did internally to kind of get me on the right track. Um, when I was in college, you know, in my 30s, doing my engineering degree, I went to um, a job fair and I applied for an internship. And... Um, I got the job on the spot and, and then she had me, the HR people had me come in and, um, excuse me. And, um, and they gave me some paperwork to fill out. And one of the things I had to sign was permission for them to do a background check on me. And I went in the car and I just had a full on panic attack and I was crying and like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I, there's no way they're letting me through this. What am I going to, I wouldn't, she gave me the folder of paperwork to take home and bring back. But I, I was so panicked, I didn't know what to do with it. And I just cried. I mean, I cried that entire night. And and this at this point in my life, I was still drinking. And I was binge drinking and just crying and panicking. And um, finally, just told myself, um, you know, I, I started on this path because people were telling me anything was possible. And I'm having faith. And so, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go in there and tell her. I'm just going to go in and tell her. I have no other choice. Like, what's right. the worst that can happen? She says, no. Okay, fine. You know, I'll deal with that when that happens. And I, it may lead to me blowing my brains out. But I got to just go tell her. Um, and, and, and I wasn't going to be a victim. I was going to hold, I was going to be accountable. I wasn't going to blame anybody. And, um, and I was, no matter what she said, I was going to be professional. Um, if she said, you know, you wasted our time, get the hell out of my office. I was going to say thanks for your time. And I was going to walk out with dignity. Um, and that took a lot. I mean, it was 24 hours, but it was a long 24 hours getting me to be that brave. And so I went in and I mean, and I was very transparent. I told her what I did and I said, um, and I was, you know, up all night having panic attacks about this conversation. Um, but, um, you know, before I sign this paper, I, I need to be transparent. And um, I had a bumpy road and I made some really stupid choices. And, you know, here's what you're going to find. Um, and, you know, I can't blame it on anybody. I did it. Um, and, you know, I understand if it, it won't work out. But um, I also, you know, want you to know that um, I've made a lot of changes in my life that um, I will go above and beyond um, because I really want to prove to myself and to you guys that um, I'm worth taking a chance on. And, and I'm just ready, you know, prepared for her to say, get the fuck out. And she comes over and starts crying and hugs me. And she says, mm. she says, Danielle, I'm so proud of you. And she goes, don't worry about it. She's like, that just made me want you even more. And she's, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. I got you. We, we'll get you in. And she goes, we still have to do the background check, but that doesn't mean we have to say no. And so I was like, oh, oh, okay, interesting. I didn't know that was even a thing. So for anybody out there, I mean, when you're, that held me back as a felon for so long. Nobody's going to hire me because I'm a felon. That's bullshit. That's right. bullshit. They right. can make an exception. They'll still, <laughs> still do the background check, but if they know what they're getting into, they can make an exception. And if they don't, then you have you just haven't won them over yet, and they're not your people. But if you've made those changes and you've done the work, um, the right person is going to overlook that. They will. And you know, I didn't get this far. I had I did have a lot of um, barriers and roadblocks, but I also had people move those things out of the way for me. Um, and I never asked them to. I just showed up and was authentic and um, 
and I had a lot of determination and people saw that and they kicked doors down for me. So, yeah. Do you, th do you think that the person you are today has a lot to do with defiance from who you were as a child? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, it was partly, part, I think what got me to engineering was wanting my dad's approval. What got me to starting my own company was being okay without it. Um, and you know, the, the scared little girl would never have the nerve to do what I'm doing would be, I mean, and my parents would not be supportive of me having this conversation right now. Um, I bet. you know, I bet. yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, um, that's, that's absolutely okay. But, um, yeah, it, it absolutely, um, it's funny when I was a kid there were a lot of things that were happening that I knew were wrong and I was gaslit so bad and and so I spent decades of my adulthood thinking that I was crazy and I was wrong um, and come to find out I was right about all that stuff I thought when I was a kid and I was gaslit and um and that is a very empowering realization um, it, once you get past the victim mentality, and I almost think the victim mentality is necessary to go through. I don't think you can go straight yeah. to empowered, you know, yep. it's part of the icky path that you have to go through of, right. oh, it's me and everybody wronged me. But then it's like, wait, but I learned this, I learned this, I learned this, and I know how to recognize this. And, you know, so yeah. There's a quote that I like that I've, um. I'm accumulator of really good quotes. I like to write things down, but somewhere I heard someone say to achieve true peace in life, you must be as far from peace as you possibly can be. And so I look at myself and I think, you know, I'm at a very good place in my life. I'm at probably the best place I've been in my life almost my whole life. And, but I would have many reasons not to, because I've had, I've been as near to, you know, when Seth died, I have to admit, for a year I probably thought about joining him. But um, you know, I, I can say I've never thought about suicide, but I had suicidal ideation, so I guess that's hypocritical because that's the same thing. But um, <laughs> you know, I I just um, I kind of reflect and look back on what has all transpired, and I had that quote thinking, you know, to get to where you need to be, sometimes you got to be in the abyss. Sometimes you have to be the lowest point you can be, and then you can really understand and respect when you do get to the point where you're peaceful. And I'm not talking happiness because happiness is a very fleeting emotive state. You can buy a car and be happy. You can't buy a car and be at peace. Um, right. So to me, I've been searching for peace in my life. And I, I have another quote. I wrote it down here that a, a friend of mine just recently said that I just love experience is a factor of exposure, not time. And so when you look at what you've been through, Danielle, you are experienced, and don't take that in any context other than you have wisdom, you have life experiences. and But it's a function of what you went through, what you were exposed to, not the fact you're a certain age. You know, you can be 70 and have a very uneventful, unexperienced life. So you at 16 experienced something that is beyond words, just like Nancy went through. But that exposure gave you tremendous wisdom as you build a foundation to move on with your life. And I am just, I am admiring all these people I'm meeting. And um, I'm on this year, like my 14th podcast. I'm like, I can't wait for more. <laughs> I just meet, I meet these people that I never would have met. 
I don't know how to say this, but I never would have met if my son wouldn't have wouldn't have passed away. And I don't know. I'm I'm not that smart. I'm not. A, I never made honor roll in high school. I, I was an average student, but I realized that if I can trick my brain, which is a very powerful organ, to do things like not believe in depression. You know, I, I to me I don't. For me, I've never been depressed. I've had very intense depressive moments, but I've tricked my brain to say. I, I don't believe in depression. Why? Well, obviously, depression exists, but not for Jeff Johnston. So, can other people think that way? Absolutely. I think I think the power of the mind is something we haven't even began to tap yet. We're all going to have bad things happen to us, all of us. What mm-hmm. we choose to do with those things is really up to us. So, um, going back to and again, my ADD, I just started chirping, but I wanted to cover some of these things before we ended our show. Um, but again. Where do you, what's next for you? I was going to say, um, when, when is the movie on your life coming out? <laughs> that, you know, we're, we're still, um, it's just now getting to the, the climax, the fun part. So, um, you know, uh, that, I, I love that you said that because that's actually how I live my life is that um, I always, you know, I wake up and I, I remind myself, Danielle, they're making a movie about you and you're the hero of your story. So how do you want it to be told? And I don't want it to be told with me cowering in a corner saying, they didn't listen to me because I'm a girl because <laughs> I definitely <laughs> went through that. Now I'm like, I wasn't done speaking. You know, I pull a Kamala Harris and, um, you know, uh, it definitely, definitely is um, something I'm thinking about. But yeah, so what's next is... Um, and, and I'm totally fine that we don't totally talk about Happy Takeoff because that's all I talk about 24-7. So this is really fun. Um, this is different than what I normally talk about. Um, but we are launching a ginormous campaign that is so empowering to women, um, similar to what was done with the Challenger in the 80s, um, with a happier ending, of course. Um, but where, you know, I, I don't want to live in a world where it's easier for a, a woman that's struggling for money to sell her body and be raped right. over and over than to become an aerospace engineer. And I want to be in your orbit and I want girls to look at me and say, wow, she can do it. I can do it too. I, I want to be that when I grow up. Um, I didn't have that. And so, you know, just, so there's the, our mission is um, empowering women and underrepresented groups through the electrification of helicopters. It's that simple. Hmm. And, and you know, that's what it is. And, and we're just at the beginning of it. Um, you know, we're, we're building this, um, this freaking power team of individuals that, um, you know, it's going to be so big and fun and cool and not just for the nerds and engineering, but everybody's going to hear about it. And, and little girls and, you know, brown and black kids all over the world are going to say, mm-hmm. I want to be an aerospace engineer. I want to be an astronaut. And not only I want to, but I will be. I can and I will. And and seeing that. And, and I know that that's so important because I was the first woman engineer in my family. And we, you know, came from a history of male engineers, but I was the first female engineer. And since I became an engineer, my daughters became an engineer and two of my nieces became engineers. And now, just because I became an engineer and they saw that, they had a role model that did that, 
we now have more women engineers in our family than males. And so I know that how I know the power of seeing somebody that you relate to will make you choose something different. And if we think about what we see on TV with, you know, women, all they care about, if you, you know, look at commercials and media, it's all about looks and hair and makeup. Well, what does that lead you to do? It leads you to be attracted to careers that only value your looks. And, and that often can be the sex industry. Um, but if you're, you know, being valued for what you contribute and the, your creativity and how you solve problems, um, then that can lead you to, you know, putting people in flying cars. Um, and, and so that's really what we want to focus on. Um, and, and, you know, just making it um, where, you know, a lot of kids grow up being wanting to be um, a model, a rock star, or a professional athlete, and um, society's broken. There's nothing wrong with those things, but why the hell isn't the coolest thing in the world, which is flying cars, on that list? And, and my goal is to make it on that list, and, and so that's going to be our campaign, um, and it's going to be an exciting ride, literally. Well, I'm, I'm excited to follow it. Um, I really am. Uh, now, I'm I'm uh, full disclosure. I, I own a wealth management company here in town, so I do investments, and so you know um, I see the these certain areas of, of the investment world that are kind of ripe for growth and opportunities. And I you know this isn't an endorsement of what you're doing, but I, I do think if you just watch what um, Elon Musk is doing just at Tesla, you know, unless you live in a cave, um, you know, and don't understand it, there's a lot of different types of um, trends coming our way. Um, yep. you know, did I mean, you hear that, about his new city? I haven't. No, he is starting the portal to the stars in down by Corpus Christi here in Texas. Um, I think it's called Starburst. How freaking cool is that? Starburst. <laughs> I want to say Starburst. I, don't, yeah. I, I hope I'm not saying it's star something. Yeah. In Texas. And it'll be where I guess we get our tickets to, you know, space Mars. Coming yeah. It's soon. like. I mean, you know, Danielle, we need more people like you on this planet. Um, and I had one time, I have conversations with so many people on so many different things. And, you know, there is no stereotypical, well, there is. There's a stereotypical way to live your life. There's a stereotypical human. And I, I am not that person. I've never been that person. I can obviously see you're not that person. But there has to be people watching this show thinking the combined grief and agony between these two humans is immense. Um, you know, I mean, losing a child, I, if you had to write down the top five things that's traumatic in your life, I, that's up there. It's in the top five for for certain. Um, being raped, there's no question it's in the top five. It sounds terrible to categorize it that way, but um, those are difficult things to come back from. I mean, just to, just to stay even, those are tough, but to thrive is unheard of. And again, you embody the living undeterred mindset. Um, I, I'm I'm uh, very happy to have you as a guest, and I'm excited to follow what you're going to do. I'm sure people watching this are going to want to find out more about you. So, in in the last few moments, why don't you why don't you tell my listeners how you can be contacted? Um, what's the best way to reach you? Maybe on a I don't want you to give your cell phone out, but what's the best way to reach you? If some <laughs> some young some, some young woman out there is coming out of a really bad experience, and she dropped out of college, and she's like, I want to talk to Danielle. I mean. How do people reach you? Sure. Um, LinkedIn, Danielle McLean. You can put Danielle McLean at uh, Happy Takeoff. Um, I don't always catch those messages. Um, Clubhouse for sure. Danielle yeah. 
underscore, I think it's Danielle C. McLean, no underscore. Um, that's probably the best place because I do rooms, um, and I'm actually getting ready to start um, doing some sort of women empowering rooms where, um, you know, we kind of um, empower each other and share our stories. And, and, and just to kind of go back what you said a second ago, Jeff, and I know we have to wrap this up, but um, the if your listeners are listening, they might hear pain, but you see joy. Um, and, and, and that's very authentic. And that joy comes from talking about it and freeing myself of that shame and that pain. So there is a power in your past. Um, and then, um, TikTok, uh, Danielle underscore C underscore McLean. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I hardly use it because for whatever reason, I don't really have any followers. So I hardly ever check it. Um, Mm -hmm. so TikTok clubhouse and LinkedIn, um, are my top three. And I was on Clubhouse for the first time last night. Oh, cool. <laughs> and a friend of mine is wanting me to get on it, but he said the first time he was on it, he was until four in the morning. So I told him, I said, John, you're my drug dealer, man. I don't I don't need that right now. I don't want to be on. So I got lured into it. And sure enough, an hour and a half later, I'm in there with four guys talking about the investment business. And I'm like, I got to get off this thing, guys. I, I could sit here all night. So I'm going to probably try to, I don't know what the term is, link up with you on Clubhouse um, and maybe catch one of your, is that they called rooms or something? I'm just learning yep. this, so. Yep, they're, co- you're, they're called rooms. We're all learning it. Um, and yeah, they're, I'll, I'll, I recommend, there's one I like, um, they do it every evening and it's um, your vision of the future in less than one minute. And hmm. it's hosted by this really calm guy. And he's like, thank you, thank you. What is your vision of the future? And so I listen to that while I go to sleep, but it's still so connected because it's live. And everybody's yeah. just like, my vision is that, um, you know, we'll all have, you know, I don't know, free energy or da-da-da. It's just this utopia and there's no negativity. I mean, it's the best thing to fall asleep to. And sometimes I talk before I go to bed and sometimes I just listen in, but um, there, there's some really cool stuff on there. So, yeah. I want to ask you one thing before we end, and, and this is going to be a, a two-hour answer, but I need it in a minute. Um, okay. Are you spirit? Are you spiritual? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I pretty much um, I gosh, there consciousness. One of my favorite topics to I'll try to do it in a minute. One of my favorite topics is trying to define consciousness and I've tried to define it and this is what my version of consciousness is is consciousness is the inability to understand itself with the need to do just that and and then hmm. that's a lot to unpack so maybe say that to yourself a few times it took me um it was a two-day shroom trip to come up with that. I'm not against <laughs> shrooms. Um, I'm I don't drink, but I will do some shrooms. So yeah, big fan. Um, and and so, but but to speaking of consciousness, though, there are levels to consciousness. Like you know, my dogs, um, they're conscious, but they're not as conscious because they look in the mirror. But when they look in the mirror, like if I'm with them and we're both looking in, the, in looking in the mirror, they look at me in the mirror and they don't look right. at themselves. When they first see them see themselves in the mirror, they do. But then they get bored with it and like, what is that about? And so you know, you can look at a rock, a plant, you know, an insect, then a dog, and then a human. And and I think it can go as big or as as big or as little as you want it to go. So. Um, are we so egotistical to think that we're the highest state of consciousness? Um, and so, 
And so, and I, what I think is, I think spirituality and science are the same thing. And I think they're saying the same thing in different languages. And I also think that magic is right in there. I think magic, science, and spirituality are all the same thing, especially if you listen to Brian Greene, um, World Science Festival. He blows my freaking mind. If you don't listen to him, listen to him. Um, he's got the coolest YouTube, uh, Brian Greene. And, and he'll say the he same is. thing that's... Yeah, and he'll say like the yeah. same thing that spiritual people are saying, but he says it in a scientific way. Um, so yeah, I'm scientific and spiritual, and I think they're the same thing. You're gonna love Sam Harris, trust me. Um, okay, cool. He's, he's he's right up that alley. He's a neuroscientist. He's uh, he's um, <laughs> a lot of things you've said. He he would he's in agreement. Um, he's talked mm. about psychedelics. He's talked about psychedelics and ayahuasca and all these things that you know, kind of seem to be more popular in the mainstream media. But hey, listen, I could I could keep going with this. I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm going to have to end this. So you got things to do. So do I. Um, uh, again, I want to thank you very much. You embody the living undeterred mindset. And I'm excited to get this out there. Um, you're raw, you're authentic, you're honest, and you're Danielle at the end of the day. So uh, thank you very much for your time. And as always, live undeterred, okay? Thank All you. All right. Thanks, Jeff.